recurve buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't even, oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And we are joined tonight by Josh Luck. Hey, everyone. And Shane Parker. Shane, how is it going this evening? Good, guys. How are y'all doing? Great to be on. Appreciate it. Good yeah. deal. Yeah, it's a nice night. It was at least a little bit warmer today, so it wasn't yeah, a... like uh, 74 degrees. What's it down there, Shane? It was 85 today. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, that must be nice. Out. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're yeah, supposed to like froze this weekend. Absolutely froze. It was a nice reprieve, that's for sure. Yeah, it's supposed to get pretty cold tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, believe so. Yeah, it's supposed to rain. We're supposed to get like three or four inches of rain or something. This yeah. is gonna piss me off because I have plans to deer scout and basically listen to turkeys, listen for turkeys prior. And this rain and cold is going to screw me out of, again, <laughs> yeah. more gobbles. I was in southern Missouri last weekend, and I thought, damn sure I'm going to hear some turkey birds this morning. And I didn't hear anything. I didn't see any turkey sign, though, either. So might not be many where I was. What, what, yeah. day, what day are you going, going out? So... I'm going to try to listen for gobbles Saturday morning only. And then Cora's got volleyball practice. And then I'm going to head, excuse me, to a spot in Kentucky that you all know about that I've been dying mm -hmm. to kayak to. And then um, Sunday morning, me and Aaron Satterfield, the old Saddie's Fatty's King himself, we are going to uh, Indiana and going to, pound some public there and I figure we'll meet a little before daylight so mm -hmm. we can get somewhere. I, I want to hear birds there because you you should Sunday Sunday you should. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll yeah. satisfy the hell out of me because <laughs> telling me I can go where we're gonna go. I mean I'm not gonna say people don't hunt there, but I think it's probably some of the toughest terrain Indiana has to offer. And it's I checked it on November 5th this past year and there was a single truck and the dude was leaving at like 10 or 10 30. So I thought, well, you either got down real early or you did not go far from the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was just a truck just sitting there. And then all of a sudden it started up and drove off and I'm like, damn bro, you got down. It's November 5th. There wasn't a deer back there in your bed. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> You got down at the worst time. So who knows? He might have been like just finishing up a drug deal or something, though. <laughs> yeah, you never know about the Indiana public. So any public, dude, it's it's crazy talking to uh um oh god, I can't remember his name now. Who'd we interview on our podcast? Uh Which Chris Gilkey. Um yeah. Chris Gilkey, yeah. Talking to Chris and then some others. I mean, that's like more than half of the job dealing with druggies one crazy stuff out there so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, well, we, now that we have your weekend plans. Yeah, now that everybody knows my weekend plans, because that's important. Uh, uh, <laughs> we can talk about the guy, the reason we're here tonight, which is Mr. Parker. So, Shane, we brought you in to talk about turkeys tonight. But um, if you could, give us a little background on yourself. Uh, hunting, job, age, all that, whatever you want to share with us. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm from, um, I guess you could consider North, uh, Northeast Alabama where I cut my teeth, uh, hunting, um, pretty much a self-taught, uh, hunter as far as turkey hunting goes. Um, I started turkey hunting when I was probably, I think 11 years old. Um, so I've been doing it for a while now. I'm you know, over 40 years, um, or close to 40 years now. So, um, uh, as far as deer hunting, uh, I, I kind of got, I, my family didn't really deer hunt. So I had some really good mentors that, that, uh, that took me out of their wing and taught me how to deer hunt. And, um, I wouldn't say I was the best when I was younger, but as I've gotten older, I've, I've kind of, I guess you could say turned a corner. Um, and I feel like I've, I've got a, a, a good grasp on what I'm doing. I may not, Man, I always do the right thing, but I try to, and 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 uh, I'm really interested in in, I guess you'd say my niche is 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 figuring out deer movement and stuff like that. Like I'm really interested in that, and I've really dove into the 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 trail camera aspect of of um, using that as like a scouting tool, and I guess parlayed that into um, I guess kind of a mini business, I guess in a way. Uh, I do some uh, some e-scouting for guys um, online um, that reach out to me and, and need need that done. So I'm really kind of getting my feet wet in that. Um, and you know, I guess that that would be my story uh, as far as like um, as far as like my hunting history. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm I I spent several years um, when I was younger traveling around the Midwest and hunting and and really enjoy that and i'm trying to get i guess get get that back in back going i almost uh didn't hunt for almost 10 years my had uh had my my son uh back in the early 2000s and and kind of took a break from hunting and and almost lost the i guess the fire was out so to say and and uh when i moved back back home where i grew up i really kind of kind of rekindled it and i've I dove head in head head first uh over the past i really five six years uh, getting back into it and, and just, you know, I guess um, using the technology has come along since I, I got out of the, out of the sport um, to um, catch up in a way. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. So, oh man, I need that. I need somebody to tame down the hunting a little bit for me and I might be able to focus on real life. <laughs> oh, I think my wife probably thinks that right now. Yeah. Like all of our wives think that. Yeah. Chris, did you get this done today? Uh, no, but I did eight and a half miles uh, having three cams. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> Shane, tell us a little bit about November Warrior Outdoors. That's that's yours, correct? It is. Yeah, that that's, I guess, kind of my online presence. Um, it yeah. was just, you know, you can find me on, on YouTube. I've got a small channel that I'm kind of adding stuff to as we go along uh, on that. There's not, you know, it's kind of embarrassing if you go look at it right now because there's not much on there. Uh, but there will be. Um, I, I, I've 
really gotten into the filming aspect last year and and, and I've got a partner that we're we're going to actually be doing a lot of a lot of turkey filming uh in the coming weeks and um like Instagram, Facebook, you can find me I'm no, November Warrior Outdoors. Uh also you can find me Shane Parker on Facebook. You know, if anybody wants to hit me up and and has any questions, just feel free to to fire away. I'm an, I'm 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 more than willing to help anybody I can, you know. Heck yeah, man. I, I gotta initiative. Are you are you gonna drop some e scouting videos, like tutorials and stuff? I am. I am. I'm putting a lot of together. I've spent the last um I guess the last month doing a lot of my um my data collection, like trying to compress all my, my video from all the trail cameras. I ran over a hundred up close to hundred and eighty trail cameras off and on this this past uh, this past year and I've, I've kind of got all that done. So I'm really going to, I'm, I'm going to really, uh, focus in on doing a lot of the e-scouting stuff and then, and that you'll see a lot of that, especially on YouTube. Can you and, say and, that and, and, and with Turkey again? too, like, yeah, I'm sorry. How many trail cameras? I had a hundred, I think I had 186 at last count. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. He's got you smoked. Up. He's got all of yeah, us and, smoked together. <laughs> like the person i know smoked by times three yeah. <laughs> and this this will blow your mind but I, i've got 200 sitting in my garage on top of the 184 right now i've got to put out so i'll have oh, close to 400 but but this year <laughs> wow. all right i got okay hold on before we go any further what trail cameras do you run and did you find a good deal uh I run everything, man. I, I, yeah, I do. Yeah. And, and these, these have actually, I, I'm, I'm, these are, a lot of these are prototypes from some guys that are kind of developing their own. Um, so you may see some of that coming out, you know, it probably, it probably won't be this year, probably next year when we get all the, the kinks worked out in it. Uh, but man, I, I use everything. Um, I, I, I got a lot of them through, um, these guys that were doing a, um, I guess they were, they were, um, PhD students, I, I guess, or they, maybe they were doing a thesis or something for Mississippi state. Just about deer interaction at scrape locations. And so I oh. met them two years ago, uh, turkey hunting. And there's just two guys that just showed up here at my driveway when we were building our home and they were like, you know, hey, you know, we just got to talking and one thing led to another and they were like, well, we'll send you a hundred cameras if you'll just put them on scrapes. I said, man, I'd love to do that. You know, I'll volunteer. Like, that's what they were kind of looking for. They were, they were looking for people to volunteer to do that. And they're, I don't know if they're writing a book, a thesis. I don't know exactly what, but I had to collect all that data for almost a year and I just, you know, would put a zip drive and email it to them. And that's kind of what, what got it started. And then it just kind of morphed into me enjoying it more than anything i love watching deer you know like there's just something about it you know there is nothing like finding that right scrape and letting the camera soak i yeah. so that was a first for me this past fall yeah. and i was actually going to pull the camera i kind of figured i knew what i found uh in august and then i killed on opening day and i thought oh and I kept telling Josh, like, we should pull that camera. We should pull that camera. Well, mm -hmm. 
like a million teen hours in we're like yeah screw that camera like i'll come back and get it and yeah. uh, came back you know i killed on september what is it like 24th or something um and then i came back in february mid-february and pulled it oh my god those those bucks were there every day august september and into the middle of october and then they still hit it from time to time throughout once they busted up and everything it was phenomenal yeah so oh, it, yeah, it's incredible yeah it, it really is um i mean i've still got bucks with horns here still using the scrapes you know wow. I, I posted something a few few weeks ago with a with a uh, bucket that thought at least at least two other big bucks they were in the 130 140 range and this was the first week of march and uh, he bred a doe off screen this was wow. like i said the first week of march so yeah it's it's incredible how it, do what now is this public land it's public land yes oh awesome yeah. wow yeah everything i do is public land I, I have a farm here 200 acres but i don't i don't do anything on it i just simply use it as my farm so but yeah everything i do i, I everything i do is on public land that's awesome yeah okay. i keep forgetting you don't get the opportunity to listen to a lot of podcasts shit so i know we're on the turkey topic but i want to hit on, on <laughs> sorry um, about the hour rick <laughs> yeah i, I want to hit on these uh the trail cameras and the deer so shane you've done two or three podcasts with the southern outdoorsman uh yeah i've done two and one of them was like five hours yeah, yeah. it was a chris if you get a chance to listen to him it was really good it was with uh paul patera right yeah it was yeah yeah yes yeah those yeah. are I go back and listen to those episodes and just try and absorb as much information yeah. as I can. They're, they're pretty good. It, it was a lot. And, then, and I think we're going to do some more, you know, once we get all this broken down with Paul as well and some other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Paul is amazing. I mean, like, it, some of the stuff that he's able to, you know, break down of things is just mind-blowing, you know. It's, a, it's on a whole different level from, from what I am, you know. I'm pretty excited. Um, we're going to see if he'll be a guest speaker um, at our Eastern show next year. And oh, then yeah. Yeah. I'll probably be talking to you next year as well, if you're up for it. Um, oh, yeah, I, mean, I hate, like, I hate that I can't have like 30 at each show. <laughs> Man, I don't yeah. like, like, there's so many people that I look up to and respect and, and just know, like, People like us, you know, you see them talking yeah. about what they find, and I'm like, God, I wish I could just have everybody here to talk. But <laughs> yeah. A, you can't because you don't have the time. And B, I question how many people actually really listen and, and apply some of this stuff. Like, so to to kind of hit on it, you know, obviously we're on a podcast, it's our podcast, whatever, but Southern Outdoorsman to me is the most next level podcast i've found now i'm not a podcast nerd like other people i don't have the opportunity to have a drive to work every day and back and and all that so i don't really get to listen to a lot but the best guests i've ever heard were on their podcast and mm -hmm. i hate that a i can't get a bunch of them at the same time to come speak at the Southern <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like Bill Vale, for example. Um, but the other thing is, is it cracks me up 
how many people listen to this stuff and then they just do the same thing over and over yeah. and over oh yeah Think, we have all this information at our fingertips and you're still a dipshit what are you doing yeah oh yeah yeah i mean and it, it, it's i i mean i've gotten a lot of responses from just mine from from the episodes i've done people saying yeah, it really helped me but then you get a lot of feedback from other people. It's like, well, that's not exact. That, I didn't see that at all, you know. And, you know, it's like I tell everybody, it's just information. Like, you you, you don't have to do it, you know. Like, nobody's <laughs> telling you that this is the way it is for everybody, you know. And so, it, you know, I think hunters are a lot of times, like, and I was this way, like, we're really stubborn. You know, like, we want to do it our way, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, it, you, you can't always do it the way you want it to be, you know, like that, that was forever and ever, even in turkey or deer hunting, because they kind of go hand in hand to me, you, you, you know, is the, the, the animal is not going to do what you want it to do. Right. You know, you got to figure out what it wants to do and then put yourself in front of it. That's mm -hmm. basically all hunting, mm -hmm. you know, and once you figure that out, and you accept that, like you accept in your mind, this is going to be, and this is what I've got to do. And you don't try to push against that and beat your head in the wall, like trying to make the animal come to where you want it to be or where you want to kill it. Like I think a lot of times hunters walk into the woods and they find a spot that has signs say, man, I'd love to kill a deer here. I'm going to hunt here. You know? Yep. And, it's, that's, it's and like the that, there's no way you're ever going to see a deer there, you know? Yep. It's like the and, people and, that cast into the stumps because it looks good. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there's no bass in there because that's been casted to 4,700 yeah. times a day. Yeah. So Three. I think a lot of hunters really, they fall into that. And then it's like, well, I, and then they don't know what to do. You know, then it's just they're, they're, that didn't work. And instead of learning from it, they go repeat it somewhere else, you know? Yeah. I've got a buddy who's new to hunting. Like I'd say not, not really relatively new, but he doesn't, he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet, you know? And so if, and he's really good because he doesn't know, he's not, he's not ingrained into doing like stupid things that I did for 10 years, you know? He's listened to these podcasts. He's listened to other hunters and he takes their advice and does it and it goes and works, you know, and he kills deer because he's not, he's not, he's not learned to, Hey, this is a pretty spot. I'm going to sit here. It's like, I'm going to go where I have heard all these people say, this is where I need to look for deer. And that's what I'm going to go seek out, mm -hmm. you know, and it works, yeah. you know, but us older hunters or us, you know, we're, we're stuck in our ways and just, I, I still do it. I'll go walk into a hollow and think, man, I'm going to kill a deer right here, you know, and I'll sit there for two days and not see anything. <laughs> I'm like, well, why did I do that? You know, well, it's just second nature, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you follow a guy by the name of Jake Bush by any chance? I do. Yeah. I do. So we spent a weekend with him in the woods a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about how people will message him and say things like, well, I went here and it didn't set up anything like what you said in this podcast or whatever. And yeah, we were oh, yeah, yeah. It, that cracks me yeah. up. Like yeah. everything surely is going to set up a little different here and there. And what I find is that 
people who are very student-like and just asking questions and just can't help but talk about it with you. Those are the ones that you tend to find do pretty well. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, they really the, do. The I'm the best hunter mentality just we – most smart oh, people have figured out like that's not the way to go about it. Everybody's got a no. cool trick that you can learn and and uh, really help. So yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say Ralph, well, I'm the most average hunter in the world. Like probably <laughs> below average. You know, I'm just you know my my thing is you know I guess that's helped me is I accept that you know like I know what I am. I know what my weaknesses and what my strengths are, and. I think if you get to that point um, where you can say, well, this is what I'm strong at. This is what I'm weak at and work on the weak points. That's when you can, you can start to really, you know, get better at your craft. You know, like mm -hmm. I grew up in the woods. I'm a really good woodsman. I'm all, I'm, I'm as impatient as anybody. Like I, I, I can't wait for the deer to come to me or the turkey to come to me, you know? So I have had to beat myself down like mentally to say, I can't do that anymore, you know? And, and when I've accepted that, that's the way I've got to be. And that's, that's how I have to hunt to be successful. That's when things kind of click. And when you get away from that, it's when things go off the rails, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. So before we talk, before we dive into turkeys here, just want to give everybody a few little, uh, little tidbits, if you will. So we just launched, launched our website uh last night we worked so hard on this me josh and a flat out amazing gentleman by the name of Corey godar um godar sorry keep screwing that up i pronounced it wrong for a year uh we spent a lot of late nights on this website and uh we launched it last night it's the mobilehuntersexpo.com um for those of you that somehow listen and don't know that we put on an expo for mobile hunters, go check it out. Um, every detail just about that you need other than what vendors are coming uh, is on that website. Uh, we've got a film festival sponsored by Latitude Outdoors. It's called the Latitude Film Festival. Um, check that out. If you want to enter a film, we would love that. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of cool things heading your way with that. Josh, you got anything to add? Yeah, just going off with what you said, most of the pertinent information can be found on the website. Um, there will be stuff added over the next few weeks. Um, so, for example, we've had questions about the speaker schedule. Um, we just need to hammer out a few details with some of the speakers as far as like times and schedule. Um, so we'll have that posted for each show. Um, they will be speaking on Saturday for sure in kind of a scheduled time format. Um, we're playing around with the idea of maybe doing something a little bit special and like a more of a personal feel for friday um we we haven't come up with that so for the weekend experience ticket holders they'll get they'll get something a little different and something a little a little bit more of a personal experience with it um what else the the vendors um they are not on there as of yet that is on purpose um they will kind of like last year we would kind of announce some vendors here and there um once, once we get everything finalized it will be posted uh, before the show um and just just to give everyone kind of an idea of what to expect last year we had like 37 vendors um this year we're i mean we have room for over 100 vendors at each expo um 
I don't think we'll have that many vendors just because there are some large vendors buying multiple booth spaces. So, oh yeah, but it'll be two to three times the amount of vendors as last year. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, oh the the film have- festival. Um, so there's a tab for the film festival. Um, Latitude is finishing up a few things, uh, a few details, and then that will also be linked on the website. And then all of the submission information, all the information you could ever want will be on on the page in the next few weeks as well. So, Yeah. Um, for those, well, I better not say anything yet because I don't think they've made that announcement or not. So I'll just keep my mouth shut there. <laughs> Probably a good idea. I don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about that yet. So, um, but when I'm allowed, I'll, I'll okay it with Corey first and then make that announcement. Um, and really quick, if you are a turkey hunter and you want to try out some TSS, hit up Aaron Satterfield with Satty's Gunwork and Custom Ammo. Uh, he makes some amazing TSS. I shot it the other night. It was pretty pretty crazy. I've not shared um, anything about what happened with the 20 gauge. I just showed the 410 and the 410 pattern I need to clean up uh, a little bit, but man, that 20 gauge. That was ridiculous. So uh, check out Saddie's Fatties. He's got a website coming up, uh, Facebook page, whole nine. So um, if you're looking for him, check out the Fueled by the Outdoors Facebook group and you'll see multiple posts from him about him and his ammo, everything. He's doing a really good job. So now, now that we're done with Chris's attention deficit disorder. Now (laughs) let's talk about the best thing that God ever created. Turkeys. (laughs) So, Amen. you hunt public land for turkeys. Would you describe? Now, I want you to make sure that you don't disclose anything that you're uncomfortable with or that's going to give anything away. I'm going to ask questions, yeah. and you can say the word pass, and I'll love you just as much as I did beforehand. So, you ain't got to worry <laughs> about offending me ever with this. But the terrain that you hunt, would you describe it as hilly mountainous or flat uh it's it would be hilly mountainous okay 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 yeah all right um so dang you're rugged i guess you could say okay all right i like that so tell tell me a little bit about hunting mountain birds then because this is something that i will be getting into i i hunt more rolling hills and some flat terrain but mainly it's it's rolling, you know, the foothills of the yeah. uh, Appalachian Mountains. So now they'll still burn your legs up, but it's not anything compared to, you know, the turkeys can go anywhere. When you get to the mountains, it's a different story. So tell us a little bit about how you go about locating birds, striking them, where you find them generally in the mountains, and, you know, maybe food sources, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, striking a bird. Uh, or locating them, I guess. Um, I, I'm wanting to. Uh, you're wanting to get in 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 a higher uh, higher position than the turkey, of course. I mean, even in the mountainous areas, the turkey, the the gobblers tend to roost a little. But they're 
you can rule out a lot of the the mountainous terrain because wherever there's water there's going to be turkeys um so even though you may have a monotonous area of of seven or eight hundred acres maybe a thousand maybe even two thousand acres that may just be rugged you know steep ridges if it's got a creek in it it's going to have turkeys around it and that's where they're going to more than likely roost and so my main objective is to get somewhere near that water on a higher elevated position and i've gotten to where now i, I don't i, I kind of let things happen organically uh, i used to be one of those hunters that would get out in the morning and get up on a high spot and blow my owl hooter until you know i, I woke up everybody in the country you know and it seemed like that that just never panned out so I, i've become more of a methodical i guess i guess hunter um i like to just get on a high spot where i where i believe there's there's um there's um you know gobblers or, or a good chance they'd be and 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 just listen you know and let the woods let the let the morning i guess like like i said kind of happen organically <clears throat> but definitely having that high uh, the higher advantage, the elevation advantage, uh, gives you the opportunity to, to, um, to hear more, of course, but it also just puts you in an advantageous position to, uh, you know, especially in this mountainous terrain, probably more than anywhere that they do tend to want to, they're easier to call up, of course, than down. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're, you know, if you can be up above them, you're, you're naturally going to be at a, at a, at an advantage. So. That that's kind of my um, kind of I guess my way of starting the morning off in these mountains. Um, the one thing you can do in these mountains really quickly, and and a lot of people find it out uh, that that don't hunt it a lot, is you can burn yourself out um, before the you know before the morning's out, you know, and you know that that's where doing a lot of e scouting. I even do it, you know. For, for turkey too it's trying to find those, those flat areas that may be up on a a lower ridge above a creek uh because that's probably going to be after they fly down and and, they, and sometimes they'll fly down in the bottoms um if you can position yourself up on a flat above those those creek bottoms somewhere um then you can almost work a couple of ridges in a morning and not really have to walk very far and not burn yourself out. Uh, you can just yeah. flip from one ridge to the other and, you know, you can cover a lot of ground that way without ever having to, you know, run up and down ridges and just chase birds. Um, because in these mountainous areas that they, they, you know, you may be in, in an area one morning uh, or early in the morning and there not be anything there and, an hour later, one has worked his way into your area, you know, and that's just how, how it kind of goes in this mountainous area. You know, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's like kind of how I approach yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely it does. It really gives me a good game plan. So essentially, if I could get up on a knob that's pretty high up where a bunch of ridges converge, then yeah. essentially I've got a lot of options and yes. probably going to be in a high traffic area as well now yeah do you feel like those birds 
will work a ridge top more, or do you feel like you find them on a bottom or top third situation where it gets flatter, or is it just a mix of everything? I don't, I don't, that you know, the ridge tops don't tend to be worked by gobblers okay. uh, that much. That I get, you know, they, they like to, they like to stay from, from every, from, you know, from my experience and, and, you know, last year especially kind of played out this way is is everything that i um was able to i guess to, to close the deal on uh was in that halfway down the ridge top like on the secondary ridges uh, i love to find a ridge that's got six or seven ridges coming off of it but i mean if it's only got three finger ridges coming off of it that's fine so they, you're basically they, hub yeah. hunting gobblers yeah yeah, yeah I was gonna wow. say that's exactly what it sounds like. Wow. Okay, so you're you're all right. So you're looking for basically secondary ridge flats <laughs> yeah. where they're gonna get up there and strut, gobble, and, and that's a food source. Yeah. Probably oh, yeah. do the yeah. chest. Yeah. Yeah, they can drop down to the bottom, get get uh, you know, the creeks below them, they can drop down to water. They've got um, you know, because around here everything is covered in in it's either covered in pine. And if it's not pine, it's a white oak. Mm -hmm. And there's not enough deer, there's not enough anything around here to to, to eat every white oak. So you'll find <laughs> old white oak acorns in the summertime, you know. And so they have an ample food source because even, you know, it, it, there's just not enough, it doesn't get cold enough to really spoil the, the, the white oak. So even in the May and June, you'll find white oaks from the year before that are still, you know, good and they're, they're you know that's what they're feeding on and they're they're feeding on those open areas where there's pines where there's a transition like if i can get a ridge point that the end of it is kind of pine and it transitions off into like a like a white oak they'll stay right on that transition because they can bug in those pines and they can come out and feed white oaks and whatever other you know um uh, anything they can eat in that that open area and they can strut they can preen and they can be seen for a long ways and can be seen to the bottom until the foliage comes up. So early season, that's what I really, really hammer on. So you're looking for, so you like pine thickets a lot. How about, do you run into many cedars down there? No, we're not, we're not a cedar. We don't have many cedars. They, they, they just don't, they just don't, they don't, they don't grow down here that much. I mean, you'll occasionally find ones here and there and but it's there's not there's not patches of them at all so man that gives me a lot of confidence going into e-scouting for a mountain bird then that's i'm, uh, I'm e-scouting right now like, yeah <laughs> yeah so, it, so with the pines do you prefer the pines to come first on that secondary ridge and then transition into white oaks or the other way around or does either it way, either, okay. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter, you know. And a lot of times, what you get here because everything's been cut. Um, a lot of stuff has been has been cut over the last like forty years. So you get all the you get just areas where there's huge transitions where they've replanted it in pines and they they don't plant the SMZs and things like that. So you'll get the the drainages and the hollows are all white oak. What, and then uh, you get describe strips. what an SMZ is for me, please. I don't know what uh, that. Is. Uh, that's a stream management zone. So okay. anything that holds water, um, 
they, they're not allowed to cut within so many feet of it. Um, it's usually like an 80 foot buffer, uh, 40 feet either side. So uh, you can get something from that's been cut in the 80s that has grown back up and around that stream is nothing but uh, white oak and scrub oak and, you know, different kind of hardwoods. And right on the edge of that will be nothing but like a pine thicket that's probably been thinned um, 10 years after it was cut. So it's got, you know, it's, it's like really open timber. Uh, and that's a lot of what I, what I hunting is, is that is just hunting on those transitions, you know? Wow. This is, this is the juice right here. I like that. I, if I can find me some pines, I know we're, I know we're, so we have way less pines than what yeah. you have. They're pretty well, I don't know if I'd call them natural growing, but I would say they probably are or planted by settlers back in the day because they're normally really big and there's not huge pine thickets. Yeah. So, uh, we, we heard we heard birds gobbling a couple weekends ago around around the pines. Around the pines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the secondary ridge where mm -hmm. we figured the buckwood bed and where we found the buck bed. Yeah. Yeah. Any any anywhere like you know, I've hunted all over. Um and you know, this this is a the the mountainous area like like from from um you know eastern Tennessee down to north Georgia, north Mississippi, north Alabama, uh that kind of that strip, even in the Carolinas, you're gonna run into this kind of the same the, the same kind of um terrain territory and it's you know it's got the same flora and everything else. You're gonna have that same that same principle effect of you're going to find those transitions. The difference that I find with birds here, as opposed to like flatland rolling areas, is they, you know, birds here, uh, they want to root, the, the gobblers will roost right on that transition in the pines. Uh, especially if you have like, if you have any kind of wind event like uh, and it's windy here and you know, every time a storm comes through, for and you know it's just springtime that's what happens and so i don't know if it's by necessity but you'll even find them doing it out of season like you know all time all all, all periods during the year i notice the gobblers will roost right on those transition near the creeks and they usually do it you know a quarter of the way up the ridge so right where that transition hits from the hardwood of the pine they'll get in those pine trees so um, a lot of people <laughs> that that come here and hunt this kind of area uh, they get in the bottom and they think, well, that's where the gobblers are going to be, <laughs> you know? And yeah, cause I've run into them that have come here from out of state and they're walking the Creek bottoms. And I'm like, you're done. You're just pushing all the hens. They're like, Oh, I blew, you know, 25 hens out of it. I was like, yeah, cause that's where they hit that, you know, that's where the hens are roosting right on the water. And they're like, well, that's just opposite of what I'm used to. You know, I was like, yeah, it's not the same here. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know right. if y'all's, you know, I don't know if that's something y'all have noticed or not where, where, where y'all hunt, but that, that's kind of something that I've noticed that a lot of times those, those big creek bottoms elsewhere, that's where the gobblers will roost right on the creek in a big white oak or a big, you know, cottonwood or something like that, a big elm, you know, something that's got big limbs. And here it's more they're going to be roosted in those pine trees. Um, and, I, I, you know, it's just, just one of them things, you know. Yeah, we definitely have way less pines. So I could see where they would have way less options here to do that. Yeah. Um, we have, and we have gigantic white oaks from the creek bottoms yeah. to the ridge tops. So 
Yeah, so they got um, ample. Yeah. 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 I yeah. I noticed them up higher myself. I, I don't see a lot of gobblers roosted right over a creek. I see the exact mm -hmm. opposite. To me, Way up I, on the ridge. I still see the hens are lower. Yeah. So, man. Yeah. Yeah, and if you go down like to, if you go to South Alabama, where it's a lot of like pine thicket, like shorter pines, like it may be, you know, it, it may be twenty-year-old pines that are, you know, only 30, 40 foot tall, and that's all going to be roosted. You know, they'll be in those pines. You know, if that's all they have, you know, they they have no options. But you know, anywhere there's a transition, that's where they're going to be roosted. You rarely hear see the gobblers roosted way up high on the ridges. Um, now they'll go up there, you know, if it's, you know, to, to, once the day's broke and, you know, they, they've done their thing, especially like the subordinate gobblers, they'll run to the high points, you know? So I know right off, if I, if I am, if I'm up high and in the morning I hear a gobbler that's up high with me, I know that's the subordinate gobbler and I can probably call him. You know, if I hear one that's down low, I know I can almost rule him out because he's probably going to have hens because he's a little bit lower down and he's with them. So that gives me an advantage on who shall, who, who can I go after and who can I not, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that, yeah. man. Do you find them running <clears throat> bench systems quite a bit? Yeah, they will. If yeah, if you can if you can get benches here, you know, and, and and there's there's some if you get some long extended long ridges that are higher up that that don't have a lot of uh, secondary ridge points just dropping off of them. Sometimes they'll have benches and they'll sit on those benches and they'll cast down into the, into the lower area hoping uh, hoping they can pull a uh, hen up to them or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's just not look at that most everything here. You know, most everything I hunt is just secondary ridge points because it's just that's just what's you know what everything is. It's just big ridges with a bunch of little ridges running off of it, and depending on how big it is, there'll be ridges running off of those. You know, so it's it's you know it's it's really a, just a if you can find one of those and just work it, um, that's usually what I try to do is just get up high and work one of those ridges, work those secondary ridge points, and 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 hit those strutting zones. You know. Do you feel, do you feel like clear cuts, cutovers are pretty good place on the transition line to find gobblers strutting to if pull hands out find, there? Yeah, yeah. If you can find cutover, like like yeah, and, and it's it's unusual because a lot of people don't even look at those areas. You know, it's like there's never going to be a turkey in there, but you find a cutover, and I guarantee at ten o'clock in the morning there's going to be a gobbler somewhere in that cutover strut, you know, mm -hmm. it, it is a yeah. guaranteed, the problem old is just, just you know, yeah, old logging roads, uh, yeah. logging decks and stuff like that. The difference, what is, what has made a difference here is at some point in time, there was a change in the way the timber was harvested. Uh, so now a lot of the cutover areas are no longer like cut and then burned they're cut and left natural hmm. so now when they're cut and thinned instead of having an open floor it's just nothing but trash it's nothing but limbs you know everything that they cut and cut off the tree they just pile back into place and they mm -hmm. don't burn it so it's impossible you know for a turkey to walk through that and feel safe 
you know, yeah. like they're having to dodge piles of stuff that a that a, a fox can hide behind. So if you get in those areas like that, they're not going to be there. They'll be on the roads or something like that. But it used to be to where when they cut it, you know, they'd burn it. It was clear. You'd find turkeys, you know, strutting out in that stuff all the time. But now it's it's not. It's changed. I don't know what the I don't know what the difference, you know, why the reasoning behind that is, but it's it's really changed. And now these cutovers that that used to be, you know, something that a turkey would use and long do, you know. Yeah, I I feel like if you find the right cutover that's good and thick yeah. to where they can walk through it, but mm -hmm. it's not, you know, ridiculous. I feel like that's probably where you're going to find hens nesting, where they can kind of yeah. get in there and hide and nest. And then, obviously, on the edge of something like that, where mm -hmm. a gobbler knows they're all nesting, you know, that's yeah. where he's going to get out there and strut and gobble. So I went um, to a place our boy Rick here is all too well familiar with, and I found the widest bench, flattest and widest bench with a bunch of secondary ridge points and it wraps all the way around the main point and then goes around and there's little knobs or uh, little points i should call them i get in a bad habit of calling them knobs but um, that's incorrect terminology little points that jut out and uh as it wraps around and gets deeper into that hub there is a gigantic clear cut that's probably <laughs> six years old five years old something like that and a yes. uh, bunch of poplar saplings and everything and briars and a, just a perfect place for a hen to be able to to nest and as i walked up the main ridge point to get onto that bench there was turkey sign everywhere and i followed it all around that bench and i thought oh my god if i come back here and start hearing turkeys this isn't even going to be fair <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty steep and i know for a fact they're going to get up on that bench and strut their ass off especially when you run into that clear cut if he can stay just below that clear cut and call his ladies out mm -hmm. why the hell would he do anything else yeah oh yeah yeah and you'll you'll you know you know here what what i noticed a lot of is and it's something that, I, that I, uh, i've noticed just i mean i've noticed it for years and years and years and it's just something that's been passed down is even you know like once a once a strut zone or an area like that is developed you'll have multiple gobblers that'll rotate into it they, they move around they you know this old boy here this turkey you know he got killed the gobbler got killed that was his strutting zone somebody's gonna refill it when there ain't somebody there there's gonna be another one roll into that zone you know mm -hmm. so if you can find those areas that are historical like that and you bank them you know i mean you can keep coming back to them over and over and over again that you know that that, that that's another thing is is that I, that i recommend for everybody is is you get a lot of people that especially this used to be me when i would go out of state and it might be a place that i'm going to if it's a place you're going to go to multiple times don't go and just try to hit everything you see like just for the sake of doing it you know like i see a lot of guys that come in here and i've guided a few guys that have 
and their problem has been they have they have went into a new area and they've come here and instead of trying to learn a specific area they've tried to learn everything all at once yeah they just wanted to hit everything you know and i, I i've told a couple of them you know like guys you just gotta slow down pick you a spot and learn it you know and do that it didn't matter what state you're going to, what area you're hunting in. In three or four days, if you've only got four days to hunt, instead of trying to, you know, if you've got uh, four or 5,000 acres to hunt or 6,000 or 10,000 or 12,000, there's no way you can cover that. Pick you out 1,000 acres, 600 acres, and focus on that, you know. Like you're better off doing that and just hitting that really hard than just bouncing around to, you know, 10 different places hoping you'll catch a bird, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's one, my, my big piece of advice. And the big thing that I've really tried to do is, is learn an area intimately. And when you do that and you can pack a couple of years of knowledge onto it, I mean, if you can develop that in the areas that you go hunt, um, you're, you're way ahead of the game, and especially with Turkey, Turkey, same thing mm-hmm. as, as deer, you know, it's just a creature of habit in a way. Yeah, they really are. What's funny is people freak out about turkeys because they don't just follow a trail. Yes. To me, a turkey is just as patternable as a deer all day long, yeah. especially early on. And they're, you yeah. know, you've hunted them longer than I have. I started hunting them in 1999. And what cracks me up is certain times of the year, no matter what state you're in, if you hunt the state enough, that that particular area, if you will, they do the same damn thing every single year. As far as like, you know, for example, people freak out in Ohio. And I think this is common in most states. Most states, I feel like open right when it's a little early and they're pretty patternable. They're not quite broken up yet. And they freak out because the gobblers shit they got how many hens with them so they don't have to talk and at, you know once they hit the ground they're quiet and they're old they're all gobbled out and you know name your phrase oh yeah no. and and then you get into that second week and it gets good and then you get into that third week and it is fire oh yeah yeah and that that seems to be universal just about everywhere i go or you know i talk to you or anybody else and it's the same way everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's it's like it's it's for the for the last three years, I've killed a turkey from the same tree within two days of each other for three years. <laughs> <in a row. laughs> so that tells you that, that yeah, they they are patternable because they they come into those same areas. You know, like it, it's it's not rocket science. We we make it out like it is a lot of times, and I'm not saying it's easy by any means at all. Like. I can go out this and this year and not see it, not hear a bird, not, you know, not, not get on one. It, it's possible. I've been there, you know, but if you just pay attention a little more to what they're doing and learn from it, I think that's a lot of things. Same thing with deer hunting. Like we're, we were talking earlier, like we're doing that. We're repeating the same stupid pattern over and over again. You know, a lot of times, it, you know, you, you're just not, you're not letting the, bird teach you you know like you're you know i used to be awful about pushing the pushing the bird like 
I wanted to make the bird do what I wanted to do. I wanted to kill it the way I wanted to kill it. I wanted to come into this call and dang it, I'm going to beat the thing over the head if I had to bring it in, you know, <laughs> it, it's going to come to this call, you know, and it never works out that way. It, you know, I think a lot of guys get into that, 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 you know, kind of mindset and instead of just letting it happen organically and letting it, letting the bird do its natural thing. Like I've learned to just, Hey, if I don't strike one early, I'm just going to sit there, you know, like I'm not going to push the subject and try to, you know, chase, I'm not going to burn myself out. I can't, I'm nearly 50 year old and I'm, I'm, I'm beat by now already, you know? So I've learned to really just slow down, let things happen organically. And if you do that a lot more, you'll success will come to you. You just got to let it, you know, a lot of times we get in our own way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's, it's funny that you say that too. Now that I've had the privilege to learn from all these different people with deer and turkeys, I agree a hundred percent that we make it out to be way, way more complex than what it is. And I, I think, I think part of the, uh, you know, maybe like the industry gets us away from the simplicity and the woodsmanship side of things. You get all these yeah. easy buttons that you think you can press. And really, you know, anybody that I know that's a killer with turkeys, deer, or both, it, it could be anything. There is literally one thing every one of them have in common. They all put boots on the ground and they spend a hell of a lot of time scouting um, and they, they literally live that, you know, whatever they're chasing. And, uh, I don't think there's any way around that for, for a guy who wants to do, you know, the public land, can you go throw corn piles out on a thousand acre lease and put cell cams on them and only you're allowed there? Sure. That's not what we're talking about. Um, you know, same with turkeys turkeys on private land anymore uh i'm not going to call them easy but it's way different than a public land bird hands yeah. down um because yeah. once you learn once you learn you know you got a hundred acre place like uh what rick and i hunt together um we've got an amazing mm -hmm. dude named bruce that that lets us turkey hunt with him and uh last year we went there and kind of checked out the farm rick knew more than i did and uh, I didn't really know anything, so we went and checked out the farm. But I never really did go and listen for gobbles or anything like that. This was like early March that we did this. So I, me and Rick and Josh show up on opening day. Josh was filming. That's our, our first day with anything to do with turkeys there. And uh, we figured out about where they roost and where they like to go. And like now, I, I think there's a very good chance that I could sit up and kill one, you know, the first few hours of opening day kind of deal. And it's not guaranteed. Like I'm not some kind of badass or anything. It's just different. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't, when they're pressured and squeezed into certain areas due to the private land and the, the pastures and, you know, everything that goes on, it's different when they have 10,000 or a hundred thousand or whatever acres of big woods, Woo! You better be one bad son of a bitch to be able to pick out where you're gonna find them. So, uh, oh yeah, we do get away from the simplicity and the the woodsmanship quite a bit, though. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if, if you can, if you can become a really good woodsman, um, you've got, you've got 75% of it down. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really, if, if you can, if you can master the woodsmanship and master the area that you want to hunt, like learn it, like I said, intimately, um, that Turkey knows every inch of that property. Like, you know, your living room. Yeah. You know, and you've got to get to that point, you know, um, you may never make it to that point. I I'm, I'm not to that point with where I hunt, but I'm getting there, you know, like I want to be there. And I think that's what we have to do. And, and if you, like I said, if you can get the woodsmanship down, you're, you're going to be way ahead of the game rather than relying on your skill as a, as a Turkey caller or as a e-scouter or as anything like that, if that's what you rely on and you don't put the, the piece together of being the woodsman, you're, you're going to be playing catch up hey, your entire hunting, yeah. hunting life. You know, I agree. hundred um, percent. Now, one of, one of the things that I will say as far as calling goes, I, I'm going to touch on this is, is public land is as far as calling goes, a lot of people are like, you know, cause the, the birds that I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm a late season killer. Like if I'm going to kill birds, it's going to be late season. Um, and that's, that's just the, that's, that's, that's where I, I, I basically feel my, my most confident at. I may let, I'm, I'm going to say I let birds walk early season, but I don't put enough pressure on them early season. Cause I feel like they're going to get enough pressure as it is. I'm just not going to, push the envelope early, early season. So there's a lot of times that I'll work a bird and I could probably push the envelope a little more and maybe seal the deal, but I lay, I don't, you know, that bird's going to be worked probably five or six more times. So I may hit that bird early season. And if I don't, if he's not, you know, if he's kind of feeling me out more than I'm feeling him out, I may back off. Um, he may get killed, but that's a chance I'll take. But I feel like my best chance of getting that bird is going to be late season. And I'm going to come back in there late season. And I'm going to sound completely different than I did early season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's something on public land that you, if you're depending on when you're in there, you know, what time of the year, how much pressure has been put on it. Not sounding like everybody else is is a major advantage to you so i tell everybody you know like everybody wants to go grab the latest call that everybody else is running they want to sound just like everybody else we all hear these people on you know all of the grand national all of them you try to mimic that sound and you want to you know that turkey has heard everything by the time i i start calling him in late late april he's heard everything in the book you know, so I, my, one of the one of the little tips I tell people is go seek out a call maker. Don't get away from the the ones that are hanging on the shelf somewhere. You know that'll give you a little bit of an advantage. Uh, so you know that's what I've always always tried to do is just sound different, even if it's a if it's a different call maker that just has a different pitch. And learn to call differently, you know, like calling does matter. You, you know, uh, you hear a lot of people say that, that, that the, the, 
that the call the people doing these calling competitions all they sound better than turkeys do. <clears throat> no. I mean man, I've never heard anybody sound the way a turkey sounds. Like the way a, a hen walking up to a gobbler that she's got gobbling. I can't sound like that. I don't care how much I try. Yeah. You know, it's just different, you know, and she sounds different. And I can tell her from a guy that's right next to me might be calling. I mean, there's a big difference there, you know? Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to differentiate yourself to those high pressured birds is going to give you an advantage. So that that's another tip that I would give people because, uh, like I said, the, the birds that I'm hunting are highly, highly pressured. You know, highly pressured. Um, these birds here are, are, you know, like I said, most of them will have been called to at, on the, at the very least five or six times. They'll have been not within gun range, but they would have will have heard at least five, six, maybe ten different callers, different humans oh, yeah. calling to them. You know, easily. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what calls do you prefer? Uh, I, I run mostly a pot call. Uh, that, that's my bread and butter. And then I'll, I'll, cause every, everybody here runs nothing but mouth calls, you know, like that's, that's just, everybody gets out of the truck they pop a mouth call in their mouth. They walk down a road and they just work that thing to death, you know, and I'm a real proponent of, of getting some kind of small <laughs> pot call and having some kind of high-pitched metal pot call. Those are my two my two bread and butters. Um, I run an old slate pot call that I've had for 25 years, and I run uh, a copper pot. Um, okay. And I won't name the manufacturers so that I don't, you know, but um, I don't want to just, you know, give away every secret, but I mix it up. I've got probably 15 or 20 different pot calls. Oh and, wow! But oh. when I back into that, you know, I'm 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 kind of rotating them all during the year, you know, so I'm not always sounding the same when I go out there. But yeah, I I like I like running a pot or a trough. That's that's my my bread and butter, you know. So you're a friction guy. So have you ever have you ever used a nail call? Uh, I haven't. No, I, I know some people that have. I've, some old school guys up here did. Yeah, but I, I never have. I never have done that. So, I started using one last year. Oh wow! I love that. Really? Thing. Yeah, it's um, it gives you the ability to be able to do certain things that I feel like you can do with a mouth call a little better that you can't mm -hmm. do can't quite do with a like a pot or a box or yeah. something like for example yeah. a really really good fly down mm -hmm. cackle or something like that with the the cadence and everything like it's there's a lot of control with it um and the huh. other thing i like is it's pretty much waterproof and yeah. rather than sanding it you just wipe the dust away and then just keep going keep going yeah, yeah. man it's really nice yeah, I've, I've I've never tinkered around with them, but I've I've always I've always been intrigued by it. And I've always been I, you know I've tinkered around with uh with um with trumpets and wing bones and things like that, and I got some tube calls and things like that. But I'm just always fall back to my to my my well. I've got an old Doug Camp that tells you how long I've been doing it. Uh, Doug Camp that have, I watched him build in his shop when I was like 14 year old. Um, 
wow. copper pot that I use that's really special to me. And that's the one that I probably nailed more turkeys with, uh, with that call. And it's, it's, it's done the trick. So, oh yeah, uh, it's, it's funny to hear you talk about all the people that run mouth calls and you, you go against that and do a friction call and find great success. I will say we've got a buddy that does sound like a hen. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really, really good. And, and I always, um, I would argue with anybody that really you, you don't need to sound that good. You know, you really need to know when to call and when, when to shut call. up. I, I will say, that that goes far, but man, I've seen him do some things that just blew my mind. Yeah, um, and it, it's really turkey hunting with him is just an experience that's just different. It, it's mm -hmm. fun, and and he's not a competition guy, but he is a very very good caller. And we, there's a pretty damn good chance that if he's got a call in his mouth and we're in the woods together. I'll either shoot a bird or I'll screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> you got to you got to love hunting the guys like that, you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm nowhere yeah. near that proficient, you know. But yeah, they're, they're I, I've got I've yeah I've uh, I've I had the the luxury of 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 when I was coming up in this area, uh, Mike Pentecost. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, cut his teeth right here where I where I'm where I live. So you know. He he's one of those guys. I've heard him. I've, I've I've never really hunted hunted around with him, but I but you know he's one of those guys too that just you know you don't hear a lot of it. But man, he he sounds like a turkey. He sounds you know if there's a turkey, if there's a man that sounds like a turkey, it's 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 him. He's just got that you know. Yeah. It, it just comes natural to some people, you know. It's it's interesting because when we're out in the woods, he'll talk more to the hens. Yeah. And you know, the gobblers mm -hmm. and his favorite yeah. thing in the world, really mine too, is when he pisses a hen off and she comes <laughs> yeah. in and it, what's funny, if I was a hundred yards away from those two, I would not be able to tell you yeah. which one was which. He's yeah. he's pretty good. And that's one thing that he really does a lot of. We'll be out there talking to hens and we'll videotape it and He'll nail it, man. It's, nice. it's pretty cool. Um, so mm -hmm. moving on, um, <laughs> with your setup, what kind of gun, shells, vest, all that do you like to, to run? Man, I just, I just picked up a new vest. I've had, I've had the same old Moss Elk vest for probably 15 or 20 years. <laughs> uh, and this year I decided to move away from it. It's just, it just too hot. It was... It, you know, uh, you, you, when you're when you're old school turkey hunter, and you've, you 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 kind of get an affinity for your for what you you always use. So, you know, I, I had kind of been tinkering with the idea of getting a new vest, but I, I ended up going with the old Tom. Uh, it's their I, I can't remember what it's called. Their gunslinger, I think. Um, so I, I'm running that this year, and I love that vest. Like I I tested out four or five different different vests before I finally just settled on that one. Uh, I love that tethered. Uh, that tethered vest, yes. uh, the N2. Mm -hmm. I got a buddy that's, that's got that picked up one of those, and I, I almost pulled the trigger on that. That's a little out of my out of my budget, but man, those. <laughs> but yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely uh, definitely like the old Tom. Um, as far as um, 
as um as my gun setup i'm i'm shooting a a, a tristar viper g2 20 gauge okay um, uh i've got a uh a crimson talon um uh, reflex sight on it uh that i just slapped on there a couple of days ago and got it up and running uh and i shoot um best thing i i've tried probably 10 or 12 different um different shell setups in that gun in in the uh number nine uh federal tss just man just knocks it out of the park i mean it it's just you know and i, I think that's one of the things you really got to do with your gun setup is is nowadays especially that tss is so so particular on the type of choke gun barrel things like that that you have to go through it you just you got to invest that time and even that that ten dollar a plug a shot shell just to you know figure out what shoots best and when you do that man you you have the right one you got it made you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's i it's, think we all run the 20 oh, with nines yeah no well Oh, sorry. Yeah. Rick, Rick still uses a freaking punt gun to hunt turkeys. <laughs> I'll be buried with my 12 gauge. <laughs> there, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Nope. Uh, well, whatever gets the job done. Exactly. Unless you care about the earth and want to stop using <laughs> all of my precious metal. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, hey, 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 we're down from three inch shells. Out. We're yeah. in two and three quarters now. Yeah. So you, are you using the one and five eighth ounce? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, then you're using the same as us somehow. I don't understand how that's possible with a 12 and a 20, but it's pretty crazy. Aaron made it work. I don't know. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Sometimes you back off on that that that, and you, you actually get a little better, you know, a little better performance out of it. Sometimes, you know, just getting that getting it to slow down a little bit, you know. Amen. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent Plus man with those 20 gauges with nines i i I shot a turkey target the other day and like i don't think i could have tried to miss that turkey i i was worried because we're trying to video things and you know put aaron out there and and help him grow his business and (laughs) that that turkey was absolutely molested man like (laughs) that was ridiculous and it, he could have been 18 inches to the right or left. And yeah, it wouldn't matter. He's yeah. not just dead. He yeah. is destroyed. Stoned. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so what's so amazing to me is I, I, for the longest time, when I first started shooting them, you know, I started shooting them, these TSS probably five years ago. And, you know, they weren't really, they were kind of hitting the scene, but they weren't. But the, the thought was, man, it's shooting so, I'm shooting at such a long distance. You know, like it's pattering out, you know, 60 yards, like a really good pattern. My goodness, I got to be shooting a tennis ball or a, or a golf ball at like 20 yards. But no, you're not. Right. You know, like that thing comes out of the barrel and basically stays the same for the entire distance. You know, yep. like mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. I don't know how it does it. You know, it's well, I think a lot of it has to do with you're not choking the living shit out of the, the, yeah. the shot. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're allowing it to do its thing and then it's you know, more aerodynamic because you're shooting smaller pellets. And that is, so it's interesting to me to see all the people that still don't understand TSS and why we use it. Um, For the majority of us, we use it because we like a smaller shotgun 
because you're, I mean, if you're walking the hills or mountains on public land, but even flatland, you put in a 10 mile day, a 10 mile day is a 10 mile day. Yeah. Now, 10 miles in the mountains sucks, but as we found out, but regardless, when you walk that much, a 410 or a 20 gauge single barrel shotgun is way nicer than a damn oh, yeah. gun, you know, a Mossberg 835, 935, whatever. So, um, that's why we use it and it's more forgiving out at 70 yards and at 15 you know we don't yeah we don't just buy them so we can shoot turkeys at 100 yards no i i shoot them because i, I tend to underestimate the yardage a lot of times you know so you want to have that you know anything that gives you an advantage to where you make a mistake you still you end up with a dead bird and not a wounded bird yes yeah, yeah. you know that's all it i mean if you can if you can put yourself in that position uh why wouldn't you you know like it'd be stupid not to you know like i've wounded birds because i didn't estimate the yardage right and pull the trigger anyway not knowing that i didn't estimate the yardage right yep but had i had tss then that's not a wounded bird anymore that's a dead bird you know yeah. that's not for my benefit for killing yep. a, a bird that's for its benefit and not flying off and and dying eventually but suffering you know yeah yeah i agree it's a um, much more efficacious round yeah, yeah. it really oh, is yeah. Yeah. absolutely yeah. efficacious for sure yeah yeah because that you know <laughs> i mean when you hit them with that they're dead right there i mean they, they don't mm -hmm. flop you know most of the time and there's no telling how many times i've 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 had to chase one off the side of a hill shooting long beard XRs, you know, <laughs> that, you know, it's just, it just, you know, it's not fun. You know, I've, I've rolled a bird and seen a buddy roll a bird at, you know, 30 to 40 yards. And the one I rolled, you know, I pushed my buddy out of his chair. I was so excited in the blind. We we're in a blind and, uh, celebrating high-fiving we walk down there to a pile of feathers and then 50 yards later you know a bird flies up into the trees and takes off and i couldn't explain it and then you know even at 30 yards yeah. you're shooting soft no. you know yeah yeah and it, there's just so many you know back back in those days back when i started too i mean it, it was even worse back then i mean i don't know how we ever ended up killing bird. you know i mean i say that but you know, in, in the late 80s, you know, there was nowhere near the advantage, you know, like, we didn't, I mean, I was shooting super double X's, you know, like, you go pattern them, and if you, pat, like, I pulled one out the other day and put it in a 20 gauge and went out here and, and patterned it, and I'm like, I don't know how I killed a turkey. Like, yeah. I literally, I don't know how, I don't know, how, it had to be luck, you know? Yep. Like it, you know, it was just luck, because those things are flying all, you know, you've got pellets, that are eight feet, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's just it's it's unreal, you know. Yeah, I agree. When I patterned my Stoger M thirty five hundred, I went out to like fifty or sixty yards and uh shot a three and a half inch long beard. And I mean, there's you know, eight, ten feet and you've got pellets off to the right and left, and I'm yeah. thinking, damn, what a perfect way to shoot a hen while you're at it or so you know <laughs> yeah. I mean? oh, yeah. yeah. That's terrible um yeah. so do you prefer to hunt alone or with a buddy uh i've usually always been an alone hunter um but i'm starting to 
pick up hunting with buddies more. I, I enjoy hunting with somebody as, as I've gotten older and gotten more. You know, it makes it makes filming a lot easier. That's for sure. You know, yeah. Um, man, self self doing it. Oh man, that is like, and I did it last year. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, it's not proficient. I mean, if you look at my videos on my YouTube, they're, they're not great by any means, but it, it's just done with a phone. But even that was like, man, that's hard. You know, like you got to have all your ducks in a row, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You weren't kidding. They, they don't cooperate quite like, you know, they're, they're kind of like a rut deer, like a rut buck. Yeah. You, you have them come in and then they do exactly what you don't want them to do. And then, you know, with a deer, they don't have that great a vision. You oftentimes have cover and you're above them mm -hmm. and see them. Yeah. Turkeys pop their head up and act like you threw a damn cinder block across the field or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Freak out and yeah. booger out. So. Oh yeah. 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 It, I, it, it's, it's work. Yeah. Filming them is definitely, definitely work, but I enjoy doing it. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're filming, we're going to do some filming this weekend for a youth hunt. Um, I'm not even probably going to pick up my gun. I mean, our season opens up this weekend here for public land, but I'm not even, I'm not even interested in picking up my, my, my gun probably until public opens up the next weekend, but we're going to do some filming for a, for a, for a youth hunt. I feel pretty confident we can get a bird on the ground for this girl. So buddy yeah. mine's daughter. So that's awesome. hopefully we'll see you posting about it. So yes, sir. What is your favorite thing that you've learned in the past year or so <laughs> when it comes to hunting oh man it um my, my favorite thing that i've learned is is gosh I mean, I, there's so many favorite things that i've learned um like uh, I, I, we talked about this earlier and i said i wasn't gonna whiff on this but man <laughs> i'll tell you what because uh, there's so many you know like if you're not learning you're not you know you, i feel like you're not progressing you know a lot of times that and and hunting is just a, a series of progressions you know uh my, my favorite thing i guess i've learned is i don't know near as much as what i thought i did uh, i mean that that's really that's really the truth of the matter is over the last two years i've learned that i don't know anything you sound like comes, the especially, in my head. yeah especially when it comes to deer hunting like i i think i know some things i thought i did but I mean, all this camera study stuff and all that, it, it really put all that into question. Like a lot of things that I had to, that I had assumed just were not, you know, just, just didn't play out. I, I guess if I had to say, I, I, one thing that I have learned, I'm, I'm going to put into practice this year is there's this thought, and I think a lot of people do it, is not to hunt the same place twice. This this goes with deer hunting. That you're going to burn a spot out. But man, after after everything I've seen, like I put, I purposely went this year and put cameras on the areas that I hunted, like deer hunted. You would be amazed at how many times you were in an area hunting, or that I was. I guarantee you, if most hunters had this ability or did this, it would it would be shocking to see how many times you were either followed by a deer or the deer <laughs> you're after actually come to check you out. You know, like 
it's a thing. It ain't just, it's not, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I hunted this buck that I had. I've had it, I've got three years of data on him. And I swear to goodness, this dude knew I was in the woods, you know, and he would come to where I was just at, you know, I'd leave and he'd be there 15 minutes later, you know. So oh, it's a thing like, you know, or the next day he'd come right there and I wasn't there, you know, somewhere else. It doesn't move. Like I didn't see him when I wanted to see him. You know, so I think that's the biggest thing that I learned this year is just is not to assume that that hunting a, a particular spot, whether even if it's bedding. I mean, if he ain't there when you're there, the chances are he's going to be there the next day or a day. You know, it takes two right. or three days for a deer to kind of make those rounds. Sure. You know, I think a lot of times we just we just psych ourselves out of it. So that's the one thing I've learned. I'm going to try to put into practice this this next year is 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 um, is really you know, trying to stack those, those two and three day hunts in a particular area that you feel really confident with, you know? Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I feel like I'm starting to learn that a little bit as I go along. Like if, if you get, depends on the situation, at least from my experience, if you get an area where a buck is comfortable, it's pretty hard to push them out of there because you feel oh, safe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can bump them if it's a place that they really are that you know, like bumping deer out of a place that they are they trust that they're safe into. He's not gonna leave. I can mm -hmm. tell you that right now. I mean, I I have I have tromped all over these woods putting cameras out. Like I checked them for a year. I was checking them every four or five days, and after the initial shock of hey there's a dude coming in the woods like every four days like it took about a month but they never re and they never changed anything like they adapted to it you know so it's all you're almost in a catch-22 with this if you're if you're having a dude like me and you don't have cell camera data you don't have cell cameras you're almost in a catch-22 if you only periodically check them it spooks the deer because you're not you're not coming in there enough like you're coming in and you make a big ruckus you check 15 cameras and they stonk out for a week like but if you check them regularly and they that's the person's not you know like this is something that naturally occurs they adapt to it and it becomes part of their routine it doesn't mean that i'm not, not they're not pet deer by any means but they adapt to the to the situation that's presented in front of them mm -hmm. and so you if a deer is comfortable in the area and he is he feels safe and it i don't care if it's his bedding area you're not going to get him out of it and this is public land and he's not just seeing me he's seeing other people as well you know yep. and if they're comfortable with it they're not going to leave it because that's their home you know where, where else is he going to go you know yeah i agree i i find it very interesting uh, the last couple of years, I feel like I've learned very similar to what you're talking about, Josh, as well. Um, if a bed is working to keep a buck safe, no way in hell is he leaving. You might bump him out of uh -huh. it, but he's coming back, especially yeah. if it's a wind-based bed. He's coming mm -hmm. back. So yeah. Oh, yeah. you're going to have yeah. to really scare the shit out of that deer to get him out of there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to wound him or something like that or really, you know, really do something to to something dramatic drastic you know to, yeah. to, to to make him change his you know his 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 ingrained behavioral 
a response, you know, to the, to, yeah. the pressure. Mm -hmm. so. Well, Shane, I really appreciate you coming on. I want to start a new segment um, right now, actually, that's called okay. We Let Rick Talk for at least 30 seconds. <laughs> the whole damn I, I haven't. I haven't actually. <laughs> That's all right. You had to get it out of your system. Um, <laughs> if you have the ability uh, to get a kid or a new person in the outdoors this season, please go ahead and do so. Turkey season's here uh, in a lot of states. This is a perfect opportunity to get somebody out. Uh, youth seasons are coming in and uh, I'm going to listen for birds on Sunday and I can't wait uh, for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for a youth hunt actually coming up. So for my son. So awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been fueled by the outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leopard, and we've been joined tonight by Josh Luck and Shane Parker. Thanks for listening. Talk at you later. Bye. See you.